Isaiah 33 and 34 is uh, is a tough section of scripture um, where basically we're talking about judgment. We're talking about how, you know, you guys know this, right? There's only two types of people in the world. There's uh, the saints and the ain'ts. You know, there's those who, uh, you know, know God, those who don't. And, uh, and, and this is a heavy, heavy study. And so, you know, my prayer is that you guys know God loves you. You guys know that... Um, he, Jesus died for you, then, then you're living for him. You know, I was talking to my family on the way over here, and we we're just kind of like just tripping out on how crazy this world is. You know, we're, I don't know if you guys heard, not to, not to be a downer or anything, but um, there was this teacher, and I guess she was married at one time to a, a SWAT police officer, and uh, they are being charged of 60 counts, 60 counts of child abuse. And uh, we're talking about all the, the crazy things that you can imagine that they would do uh, sexually, pictures. They had found cameras on the ceiling and the walls. I mean, it's just horrible, the things that they did. And so, you know, when you think of that, like, how does that happen? How does the society come to a place where we would abuse children sexually? And the answer is uh, that happens when we drift away from God. You know, when people say we don't want the Ten Commandments on the walls, when people say we don't want God in, you know, we don't want prayer in the schools, you know, we don't want Bibles to be taught, what happens, all those people are contributors to what we're seeing today. And so the, the thing about it, Jesus said, if you cause one of these little children to stumble, if you do something like that to the kids, then, uh, you know, it'd be better for you to tie a thousand pound stone around your neck and throw yourself into the deepest ocean. And basically what Jesus is saying is one day they're going to be judged. And so all that to say, um, we should be, um, you know, very, very uh, interested in justice and judgment because all these offenses, they are not just a civil offense or a federal offense. They are offenses against God. And so right now we're living in a season of grace. Right now, God's not judging. You know, we read that in John three sixteen and 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so right now it's a season of grace. It's a season of Jesus, this beautiful lamb who loves us. But eventually the day will come when judgment will strike us. And so we're going to read about that, especially in chapter 34, Chapter 33, it's kind of mingled. There's a lot of really cool things there. Like I said earlier, um, there's some that know the Lord and some that don't. And that's the way it always is. And that's the way it was in the nation of Israel as well. And so um, look what we read here. Isaiah 33, it says, Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered, and you who deal treacherously, though you have not dealt, they have not dealt treacherously with you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. And when you make an end of dealing treacherously, then they will deal treacherously with you. And so you're like, what's that all about? What that is in reference to, more than likely, is what God is going to do to the nation of Assyria. Now, Assyria, um, you know, if you could think of Nazi Germany, you know, you can think of this crazy, crazy nation. And the, the beginning of terrorism, that was... Assyria, and so they were just sweeping through, and and God says, "Well, you're gonna you're gonna be judged as well." And once, kind of like you're done with your thing, 
And, and the interesting thing right there, he also mentions the, not the plunders, but those who deal treacherously. Now, more than likely, that's in reference to those who betrayed. And that would be within the camps of Israel. And so they were people who were making alliances with uh, Assyria, trying to strike a deal. Um, we're going to see what happened with that. Um, they were looking to Egypt, trying to get help from Egypt. And God said, you guys are, are going to be judged as well. And so um, this is what happens to Assyria. This will be God dealing with individuals within Israel that were betrayers. But look what happens. Because you guys know we're not there yet. Eventually, what we're going to see is when the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that God would send one angel, the angel of the Lord, in reference to Jesus, um, who came as that you know, messenger and that mighty warrior, and he will defeat Assyria. How did that happen? How did God you know, answer in such a way? You want to know how? Through prayer. Through prayer. Do you realize how powerful prayer is? Do you realize that? Like, what, What's your heavy situation here? We all have heavy situations. You know, I've been going through things with, you know, different uh, trials that have been really, really trying for me. And God has brought me more to my knees. I know you guys all have situations and you have people that you want to get saved. And there's just so much that's heavy on your heart. Well, the answer really is for us getting on our knees, not just talking about prayer, not just studying about praying, not just reading books about praying, not just having a lot of knowledge about praying, but really praying. And we're going to see that later. Hezekiah actually takes the threats for the Assyrians and he just spreads it out before the Lord and they just pray and God sends an answer. So I just want to encourage you, pray. Isn't that how you got saved? You got saved with the prayer. And God will continue to save you. Please, uh, turn off the television every once in a while. Not sounding legalistic, but we spent so much time playing games, watching television, doing all this other stuff. And God says, wait a minute, couldn't you just pray, you know, he told Peter for an hour here or something. So when, look what happens. Verse 2, O Lord, it's a prayer. Be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be there, or more than likely, that's our arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble, at the noise of, of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered and your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar as the running to and fro of locusts. He shall run upon them. And so he's, it's a prayer. Oh, Lord, be gracious to us. And you guys know how huh? all answered prayer is not because of our righteousness per se, although we do need to behave. We need, need to be holy. If you want to have a powerful prayer life, there is that aspect of it. But even then, we could never be good enough. It always has to be rooted in grace. And so the Bible says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, um, I know I don't deserve it. Lord, I know I don't deserve a miracle. Lord, but, but please, Lord, be gracious to me. Hear my cries. I got my kids right here. I got my wife right here. This whole you know, city is surrounded by 185,000 ruthless Assyrians that just want to devour us. And not just the, you know, the physical threats, but the spiritual threats, because those are the eternal ones. Lord, be gracious to us. Right here it says, we, there was a remnant, we have waited 
for you. You know, when you wait on the Lord, you're, 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 you have faith. You're not rushing ahead. You're not being hasty. You're not taking matters into your own hands. You know, when you wait on the Lord, imagine 185,000 Assyrians there and who knows? I mean, there's a lot of different thoughts that can go through someone's mind. I mean, believe it or not, some might say, I mean, this is real. I'm not trying to be weird, but, you know, the Assyrians would come in and they would torture people. They would skin people. They would cut off limbs. They would gouge out eyes. They would cut out tongues. They were just horrible. They would ravish women. So, you know, there might be the temptation to say, well, I'll just commit suicide. Believe it or not, people would do that. People would rather take their life. You know, to, to wait on the Lord means I'm not going to take matters in my own hands. I'm not going to do what the flesh is telling me to do, the world's telling me to do, whatever. You know, the enemy's telling me to do. To wait on the Lord is just to say, Lord, I believe that in your perfect timing, you're going to work all this out for good. And I'm not going to go and I'm not going to do sinful stuff and foolish stuff. I trust you, God. And, and it's so cool when we have that heart. Did you guys know that? That even though I know sometimes it seems like it's taking forever, now with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. In God's timing, in God's timing, everything will come together. We have waited. Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their arm, or more than likely it's be our arm. How frequently? Every morning. Every morning. That would be a good verse to wake, wake up to, huh? You wake up in the morning, Lord, be my arm this morning. You know, be my, my strength, our salvation also in the time of trouble. You know, what we find right here is this prayer was answered by God. And in and, and verse uh, 4, um, no, verse 3, at the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered. Now, the interesting thing is Isaiah's writing this before it happens, but he already knows it's going to happen. The Lord gave him insight it's going to happen. At the noise of the tumult. Now, tumult means like a lot of noise. It's like, you know, crazy noise. But what that's in reference to is God's voice. It's God's voice. When God speaks, the people shall flee. That's the Assyrian soldiers, 185,000 uh, would die, um, and we're going to see the, the 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 Lord would scatter this army, and and that's what would happen. The the enemy is going to get defeated when you lift yourself up. The nations now we're going to see will be scattered, and so Isaiah is even going to then talk about not just Assyria, but but the whole wide world. God is going to devour them like a like a caterpillar that eats away your leaves, or the locusts in those days. They're well familiar with it, how they would just devour everything in sight. And so, you know, here's what I want to encourage you guys to do is just to wait on the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands. Uh, trust your matters into the arms of God. I mean, if you think about it, if the Lord is our arm, then who can harm us, right? And the interesting thing is we don't even need God's arm. All we need is his voice. Did you know that? That all he has to do is speak it. And that's what he's going to do. Even we're going to see later in Revelation 19 when he returns, there's a sword in his mouth and that's all he has to do is speak it. I pray you would know, even though I know it's tough, God is working and we just need to wait on him.
You know, verse uh, 5, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. And so everyone will eventually look up to God. You guys know that, right? Eventually, they're all going to look up to God because he is God most high. And so he's exalted, for he dwells there. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. You know, and this is probably a, a quick reference to the millennial kingdom. You guys know we've talked about this a lot in the book of Isaiah as he's sharing with the Jews, um, even though they're going to go through some tremendous trials, they had something to look forward to as a nation. You know, let me, there's something that's interesting, okay? You guys that have studied your Bible. Some of you guys have. Um, some of you guys haven't. That's okay. We still love you, okay? But, um, you know, remember when the Jews conquered Canaan? Do you guys remember that God gave them the land of Canaan after they came out of Egypt? And uh, Joshua led them in to conquer Canaan, right? And they got the land. They got the land. And uh, what had happened was uh, the, the sins of Canaan had to get worse and worse and worse and perverse and perverse and perverse until eventually the sexual sin, they were even having sex with animals. It was horrible. It was so horrible. Eventually, they, they got judged and Israel got the land. In one sense, it's the same thing today. The, the sins are getting worse and worse and we're like pulling out our hair or whatever. Those of you who have hair and you're just like, you know, it's crazy what's going on. But do you realize what's happening? It's like you're seeing the banana finally getting ripe or the avocado finally getting ripe for judgment. And you know who's going to get the land? Israel. Again, kind of the same thing. And so not that we rejoice in what's happening. It breaks our heart to think that people today are trying to redefine the family or take away male and female and just a lot of crazy things. You know, we got to fight against that. But just know it's a sign that the Lord is returning soon. And so right here, when we talk about filling Zion with justice and righteousness, I mean, that has to be the millennial kingdom, right? Wisdom and, and knowledge will be the stability of your times. And so again, more than likely a praise report regarding millennial kingdom, but also maybe uh, regarding the future deliverance uh, from the Assyrians. And anytime we see God's answer to prayer, God's grace, his protection, um, we thank him because he rules on that throne. You know, we do thank him. You know, my son was in an accident and I told you guys it was a while back. And so... Pray for him because he's waiting for his Porsche to come in. No, I'm just joking. He's not. But um, nowadays, used cars are expensive, huh? So um, anyways, the Lord's going to work all that out. But, you know, you, you might, you know, be bummed that it was totaled. The car was totaled. But you know what? He didn't. He's okay. He's completely okay. And isn't that really what matters? You know, the Lord delivered. And then one day... When we finish our race, one day, then we're safely home. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, it's just, when we're Christians, we just thank him because, you know, he answers prayer. Verse 6, wisdom and knowledge. That's God's wisdom and knowledge or the stability of our times. You know, I don't think we've ever lived in times more unstable than we do today. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. But by God's wisdom and knowledge, there is actually stability in my life. 
I, I feel that. I was thinking today as I was listening to some old songs when I first got saved, it took me back to the beginning. I got saved, you know, 32 years ago, and I just felt that I was feeling that, you know, the reminiscent. And I was just thinking, Lord, I remember those early days. I remember when I first got saved and just how, how faithful God's been. But man, the way that things are now, how unstable things are. But it's cool. When you know the Lord, there's like these shock absorbers. And they just kind of keep us, you know, right where we belong. They provide peace and they help us to be steady uh, no matter what life might throw our way. Notice what it says right here again. If you look at verse 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. You know, I thank God that he put it inside me, you know, to fear him. I mean, I thank God that, you know, I know uh, I can't do certain things, you know. You can't use boundaries when it comes to women, there, there is certain boundaries because I don't want to fall sexually because I fear God and my wife. I fear them definitely, man. And it's a good and healthy thing, you know, because that's my treasure. These guys that do these dumb things, so dumb, they don't fear God. You know, we should fear Him. He gives us strength. He gives us salvation. These are things that, we need to know as Christians. We need to walk in. And that's the promise for God's people, right? But not all are God's people. Now look at verse 7. It says, Surely their, their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. And this is in reference to the Assyrian, you know, brave warriors. They're going to weep in public. Their ambassadors of peace will, will cry in bitter disappointment. We're going to see, again, they tried to do a covenant and didn't work. Verse 8, the highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. And so again, I don't know, like if you can visualize, remember you got the whole uh, nation, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. So they were carried away captive, and then they put other people back and mixed it all up. It became the Samaritans. And then, if you can visualize for basically the next 20 years, the next 20 years, the Assyrians were just conquering everybody left and right, and they're making their way down towards Jerusalem. They've conquered all the other cities uh, in Judah, but not the capital, not yet, you know, Jerusalem. And so um, as they're on their way, um, Hezekiah actually made a covenant with them. He made a treaty with them. I want you to turn to Second Kings chapter 18. And notice what we read in 2 Kings 18, in verse 13. It says, And in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 
300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And if you have a newer translation, I might say 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold. That's how much Hezekiah paid this king from Assyria to leave him alone. It was a covenant, right? Notice it says in verse 15, so Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah gave king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. You know what he tried to do? He tried to make a deal with the devil. That's not going to work. 11 tons of silver, a ton of gold, you know, making a covenant. And we tried to do that with Hitler. Did you guys know that? They tried to make peace agreements with Hitler. Again, you can't negotiate with nonsense. You can't dance with the devil. You can't. We have to do things God's way. You know, if Hezekiah, he learned his lesson. But unfortunately, they robbed the temple. They stole all the gold. You know, what we find back in Isaiah is they had broken the covenant. He despised the city. He didn't care about anyone. And so we read in verse 9 of Isaiah 33, the earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is, is shamed and shriveled. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now I will rise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be like the burnings of lime, like the thorns cut up. They shall be burned in the fire. And basically what God is just saying here is, uh, as again, Assyria is making their way and they've thrashed Lebanon and they've thrashed Sharon and, and Bashan and they're making their way towards Jerusalem. Uh, God is going to rise up. God's going to defend his people. And he's going to tell them that all the stuff, that you, all that money you spent, it, you, you blew it. You blew it. It's, you wasted it like chaff. And so we read in verse 13, Here you are who are far off, what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who, who among us shall dwell among the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? And so, you know, again, you guys, um, hopefully, you know, when I think of like, like judgment, like, you know, we were even talking about these, these offenders that do this to kids, how, how, how heavy of a judgment they will receive from God. And, and even when they go into jail, someone might kill them there. Huh? And so hopefully, if an individual is inclined with that perversity, the fear of God will stop him. The fear of God hopefully will stop him. You know, I need the Lord. The Lord can set us free from whatever those ugly inclinations are. Well, we're reading about judgment here. You know, we're reading uh, words that I think God, you know, he knew we'd be reading the Bible one day. He knew we'd be studying it one day. He'd say, Manny, you know, make sure you live a holy life. Make sure you're not a hypocrite. Make sure you're not, um, you know, someone who can be categorized as a sinner. And what that is is someone who doesn't know the Lord 
or someone who just goes ahead and lives sin. I'm going to do it anyways. I don't care. No one sees me. God sees you. And so what we're saying right here, the Lord says here, you who are far off, maybe you're here today and you, you know, you've been way out there. You know, it may be in reference to the, the Gentiles, more than likely, the Gentiles, the Jews. It doesn't matter. You were in church, not in church. Maybe your first time. It doesn't matter. You listen to what God, this holy God, tells us. You know, earlier I was telling you guys about, you know, the, the horrible sins that, that people commit. And, you know, someone in, in the government who's a moral person might say, well, that's got nothing to do with me. I shouldn't be judged by God because I didn't do that. Yeah, but you took God out of the, the, the schools. You took God out of society. You said we couldn't even hang up the Ten Commandments. You're just as guilty. And that's why what we're talking about here is you have to get right with God. You know, the, the sinners, the hypocrites who were there in Israel, you know, they were afraid when they were really hearing about you know, God's judgment and especially what he would do with the Assyrians. Again, we're going to read it later when we get to Isaiah 37 through 39. So, um, you know, what, what does it do? If God is this holy, everlasting, consuming fire, you know, what can we do? You know, the Bible does describe God as a consuming fire because of his jealous love. In Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's quoted in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Think about that, God being that consuming, holy fire. And um, so it's not speaking there of hell, but in a sense, those who mistakenly interpret it as hell are not really far off the mark. This is God. Now someone says, I don't believe in God. Someone says, well, I, I don't, you know, you know, you know, he, I don't I don't want him to rule over me. Yeah, you can say that. But he's real. You know, he's the maker. He's the creator. He's the boss. You know, it's crazy how sometimes people, they don't want to do things God's way. And yet, you know, he's so good. And you know, I was just thinking about even the weather. I was talking to my son yesterday. I said, man. You know, when you start traveling the world and you go to other places and, you know, the humidity and the how sometimes a place is so cold and sometimes it's so hot. When I was in Cambodia, I could not find a relief anywhere. It was tough. And I remember being there for a couple of weeks and then landing off the plane and, and I got off the plane and I, the L.A. weather was just beautiful. And I said, man, thank you, Jesus. I was really happy about that. I was just thinking about how good God is and, and yet, People don't, they don't acknowledge him. Who can survive this? Look again in verse 14. Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? I mean, who can really, um, you know, survive this all-consuming fire? And he answers in verse 15. Here it is. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly he who despises the gain of oppressions who gestures with his hands refusing bribes who stops his ears from ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil he will dwell on high his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks bread will be given him his water will be sure you know and again earlier we talked about the fact that it's grace you guys it really is grace 
So I don't want you to ever think that you're going to have to earn God's you know, love or God's salvation. But let me tell you something. When you get saved by God, when God comes into your life, your life will change. And if it hasn't changed, then maybe you are not really saved. And so you got to settle that with the Lord. You have to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And and what we see right here is that that life that that life that that walks, you know, right, and talks right. You know, maybe you're here and you you still use the f bombs. You still use profanity. You maybe you don't talk properly. He he mentions both things there in verse fifteen. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, in one sense, they show they're really a Christian. And, and then if I'm looking at it, and those of you guys, many of you are Christians and you're struggling, this will be incentive for you. I want to walk right. I, I want to put one foot in front of the other and keep both eyes on Jesus. I want my, my moral journey, my life, to be consistent with my Christianity. Again, none of us are perfect. We, are, we know that, right? But we, we have this heart to be proper, and pleasing to God. Who, who, will cons- who will avoid this consuming fire? It, it reminds me of the Psalms, asking a question and then giving the answer. Who, who despises the gain of oppressions? He, he gestures with his hands. No, I, don't, I'm not, I can't be bought. You can't bribe me. You know, And the devil will offer you anything and everything to keep you, to get you away from the Lord. He can use a girl, he can use a boy, he can use money, you know, a different job, whatever. You're going to make all this money, but now you can't go to church on Sundays or whatever. Man, when you like, no, now I'm going to walk right, I'm going to talk right, I'm going to be a walkie-talkie. Remember we talked about that? And then what ends up happening right there? It says in verse 16, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him and his water will be sure. And so to dwell on high, you know, is to me, that's like a good place to live and maybe even heaven, right? And the place of defense, I'll tell you what, the devil, the demons are after you all the time. You know, we have been made, the Bible says, a public spectacle. Now, the Greek word is where we get our word theater. So you guys go to the theater, right? You go to the movies and you watch a movie. They're watching you. And so how can we win against the devil and his demons? The only way is by him being our defense. Lord, let me be a walkie-talkie. Let me walk right. Let me talk right. And, and God says, okay, cool. You got this place to live and you're protected. And then you're, you're provided for. Bread will be given him and his water will be sure. Because remember, nowadays we live in days where you get water everywhere, you go get bottled water. That's not how it was back then. Water wasn't that easy to come by. God says, listen, if you seek me, if you walk right, if you talk right, if you seek me with a heart that's sincere, I will always protect you, and I will always provide for you. You will never have to worry about that. He says in there in verse 17, something so beautiful. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Wow. When I was reading that, I was just, just like, Lord, I don't know if you guys ever like stop and 
think we live in Southern California. Did you guys know that? You're like, duh, I know that. Listen, Southern California is busy, busy. You can go almost anywhere else and it's not as busy as it is here. We are so busy that we don't have time to think about such a beautiful truth like this. Like one day, wow, trip out. I am going to see Jesus. Imagine that. That's what he says right there. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. What will you do when you see Jesus? What will you do? What will you do? Will you, will you fall down and, and, and your knees? Will you give him a big hug? You know, will you dance? Um, that song, I can only imagine it speaks of that. But man, I, I think about that. And it's just almost like not just a, a destination, but a motivation because we're talking about judgment. I know that I won't be judged because I'm a Christian. Jesus experienced the judgment for me, but I will be judged at the Bema Seat. And so when I see the Lord, and when Stephen was, was dying in Acts chapter um, 7, he saw the Lord Jesus sitting and standing next to the throne of the Father. We'll see him. Your eyes will see him. You know, we already know the Lord is beautiful. and We kind of can already see him now, right? The Bible says in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that's why it's cool to just be in the word and to be in fellowship and just kind of like be in the temple and the presence of God. You just want to see him always. You want to see his beauty. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then in Job nineteen twenty six, he says, And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, in my glorified body, one day I will see God. Now, more than likely, when you go to heaven, more than likely, again, I don't know for sure, but the Father uh, is just like this crazy, glistening, um, like, you know, jewels on the throne and the Holy Spirit. Who knows? Maybe he's these seven fires that's spoken of in Isaiah 11 too. But I, as far as I know, only Jesus will have a body. And he will have a body with scars forever. And one day, we will see him. And so it's so cool to think about. We'll see the land. And not only that, we're going to be able to remember the difficult days and actually thank God for his deliverance. Look what it says in verse 18. Your heart will meditate on terror. And what that means is that, especially Israel, they're going to be able to look back to the different forms of terrorism, and they're going to ask the question, where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the tower? I mean, where are those uh, Syrian officers and bookkeepers who recorded the plunder taken from our fallen? Where are they? They're gone. He says in verse 19, you will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech beyond perception of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. In other words, there'll be no more foreign enemies. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. You know, I, 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 you guys, home is cool, but man, in one sense, we're not home yet. We're fish out of water. That's why, you know, I remember one time someone asked Pastor Raul, they're like, hey, you know, why? I'm a Christian. Why is life so hard? 
And he just said, because we're not home yet. One day we'll be home and there'll be no more sickness or you know, sin, devil, death. No more tears. We're not home yet. One day we're going to be home in this place called Zion. No more foreign enemies will be there. Uh, when it talks about Jerusalem, it says not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the majestic Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by. And he explains why. He says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And he will save us. And so Isaiah speaks of the streams in the desert. We're going to see that later in chapter 35, verse 6. What, what a transformation it will be. And again, more than likely, this is in reference to the time in the millennial kingdom. It will be majestic, these beautiful broad rivers. Uh, the, the Jews, just in case you were wondering, they were always kind of like, uh, they, didn't, they didn't like the, the waters, you know. Uh, but here he says, don't worry, the enemy won't be allowed to sail those seas and attack you. Why? Because the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our king. The Lord is our lawgiver, and he will save us. The enemy will try to get us, but God's going to tackle them. Look what it says. Your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen, in verse 23, their mass. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of a great plunder is divided. The lame take prey, and, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it, isn't this beautiful, will be forgiven their iniquity. Isn't that cool, you guys? The people of Israel will no longer say we're sick and helpless because the Lord will forgive their sins. And so um, just beautiful what's going to happen one day when we're home in heaven. And, and we can't lose sight of that, you guys. We can't lose sight of what God has for us. We already know going into this that in Christ we are victors. We are victorious. And we have to make sure that we maintain that understanding because the days will get dark. Do you think that the rest of your life is going to be easy? Absolutely not. I already know. We've talked about this. We're getting older. What's going to happen to my body? I'm not the bionic man. I know things are going to happen, you know. And I know we're going to get hit in so many ways. And even in our nation, which is anti-Christian now, I mean, it's getting very, very dark. And so, um, you know, it's going to be tough. I, I don't want to stand up here and say, hey, you guys, being a Christian is easy. It's not. It's going to be tough and you're going to be tested. Some of you guys, you know, you, you got to get back on. But, 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 but when you know that, but in the end, we win, then it keeps you going. So we got to make sure we are on the right side. You know, it's so simple being a Christian. It's the faith of a child. I, I, Lord, I, I, I don't understand what's going on, but I do know this. You love me. You died for me on a cross. You defeated death, and I'm following you. Simple as that. And so the next chapter is all about the judgment of the nations, and this one we're going to go through a little fast. In two minutes and 58 seconds, my timer's going to go off, and so watch what happens. It says, Come near, you nations, to hear and heed you people. 
Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it, for the indignation, that, that word it speaks of anger provoked because of their terrible treatment of the Jews, for the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and his fury, his rage against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. I mean, when Isaiah's writing this, it's almost as if it's past tense. And what that basically means is it's as good as done. Also, their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted or dripping with their blood. And so when you go to Israel, you get to stand up there on Mount Carmel, and you get to see the valley uh, of Megiddo, uh, where Armageddon will take place, where they say the whole valley is going to be up to a horse's bridle, this high in corpses and blood. And it's a crazy, crazy battlefield, 36 miles long, 15 miles wide. This is the Lord returning and one day judging the nation. And it's not just the people. Notice, eventually all creation will suffer for the fall. We read in verse 4, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heaven shall be rolled up like a taquito. That's what it says in the Hebrew. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. And so Jesus talked about this after the tribulation period. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You know, Peter mentioned something like this too in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And it's kind of like a, a nuclear thing more than likely. And God's just going to, you know, he's going to, have you ever seen him just knock down this building? Have you guys ever seen that? It's kind of cool. And he's going to build a new one. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Some say it's going to revamp it like a remodel. Um, others say, no, it's going to be completely new material. You read about that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. But before then, there's the demolition, demolition of the nations. In verse 5, it says, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven, Indeed, it shall come down on Edom. Now, Edom here is representative of all the nations. And Edom is chosen because they were especially hostile towards Israel. You might remember Edom is a descendant of Esau. He's a picture of the flesh. And they persecuted the Jews. Just like today, the persecution of Christians, it's kind of the same thing. And so those who persecute God's people, that, that, that's, the, that's the Edomites. And so they do represent really the whole world. When Edom, when Israel was eventually judged, the Edomites over here were all happy about it. They were even delivering some of the Jews over to their enemies. And so God said, I saw that. I saw the way you treated the Jews. And I saw the way you treated the Christians. And God's going to come in. And God's going to clean house. It says right here, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness. With the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of the rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, that's the capital of Edom, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And the wild oxen, this might be in reference to the soldiers, shall come down with them, and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust saturated with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Edom. And so I don't want to make light of it, but you know, when it comes to Edom, God's going to eat them, if you know what I mean, man. They're going to get hit hard. 
vengeance. Uh, the word means punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong. And you know, we might get wronged. Um, we don't have to take matters into our own hands. The Bible says in Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And one day God will right every wrong and perfect justice will be served. Warren Wiersbe asked, why this indignation? He said, for the cause of Zion. God fights against his people if they disobey him, but he fights for them when his chastening has accomplished his purposes. He will keep his covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And so later, if you guys get a chance, maybe write this scripture down. Read Isaiah 63. 1 through 4, heavy, heavy uh, scripture regarding Jesus coming down. And man, you read Revelation 16 and 19, you see the return of Jesus. We're right around the corner, you guys. The Lord is coming soon. He says in verse 9, its streams shall be turned into pitch, or that's like a a tar um, like substance. It's unquenchable. And it's dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever, but the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, sometimes you get like a double fulfillment. So this is in reference partially to Edom, but primarily to earth primarily to the way that God will judge the world. And aren't you guys glad that you're not going to be judged? Aren't you glad that because you place your faith in Jesus, that you don't have anything to be afraid of? And this is why it's so important that we have to go out and we have to pray for our loved ones and we have to shine and we have to share and we have to reach out to them because this is what's coming. You know, when you read it right here, um, it talks about the, the pelican and um, more than likely, that's, I don't know, I think it's in reference to demons. If you read Revelation fourteen eleven and Revelation 19, 1 through 3, it talks about this fire, this smoke of hell that ascends forever and ever. Verse 11b, it says, Also the owl and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. And so it's going to be haunted by the desert owl and the screech owl and the raven. And when God measures a land, he always measures it uh, out of ownership and judgment for chaos and destruction in this case. You know, something that's interesting, uh, notice it says, um, uh, verse 11, and, and it says, stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. In the Hebrew language, it's the same words used in the book of Genesis for um, the words without form or void. And so to me, that's interesting because now as we get towards the end, you know, you look way, way back to the beginning. And they shall call its nobles, in verse 12, to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all its princes and shall be nothing. All these leaders are so-called leaders. Um, it'll be the land of nothing. And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses, it shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall 
bleat to its uh, companion. I was like thinking about all these animals. Kind of cool how we think about all these animals. Um, you guys like going to the zoo? I mean, yeah, but these are all unclean animals, okay, just to let you know in Jewish culture. And it says, also the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. And there the arrow snake shall make her nest uh, and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. And there also uh, shall the hawks be gathered, every one with her mate. I think it's in reference to the zoo in San Diego. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's basically saying it's supposed to be a place for people to live in. But not anymore, because God's going to wipe them all out. And what we find right here is these are creatures uh, that God is describing because of the fact that he will judge. So, you know, again, verse 16, uh, search from the book of the Lord and read, listen, not one of these shall fail. Not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. You know, and that's just the judgment of God. You know, that's, you know, when you look at the prophetic calendar, you guys know next is the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign, and then after that, the new heaven and the new earth. And so for us, you know, we have to be ready and we have to know these things. His judgment is true. Let me close, uh, as the musicians come on up, let me just close with this one story. It was of pioneers who were making their way across one of the central states to a distant place that had been opened up for homesteading. And they traveled in covered wagons drawn by oxen, and progress was slow. One day, they were horrified to note a long line of smoke in the west stretching four miles across the prairie, and soon it was evident that the dried grass was burning fiercely and coming towards them rapidly. They had crossed a river the day before, but it would be impossible to go back to the same place and the flames would be upon them. So one man, only one man, seemed to have understanding as to what to do. And what he did was he gave the command to set fire to the grass behind them. And then when a space was burned over, the whole company moved back upon that, that, that place. And so as the flames roared towards them from the west, uh, one of the little girls cried out in terror, are you sure we're not all going to get burned up? But the man replied, my child, the flames cannot reach us here, for we are standing where the fire has already been. And that, my friend, is a perfect picture of the believer who is safe in Jesus Christ. Because all that judgment that the world is going to absorb, he absorbed for us on the cross. And so when you give your life to Christ, you're safe, you're saved. And so we are free. And so I pray if you haven't done that, man, that you would. <laughs> 